0: Welcome to The Greener Way Podcast. I'm your host and Managing Editor of FS Sustainability, Rachel allen Backus. In this episode, brought to you by First Sentier Investors, we'll be discussing biodiversity, natural capital, and the ecosystem services, and how they impact on investments. First your Investors responsible investment specialist Joanne Lee explains how the fund manager is integrating how we should think about the ways in which companies are dependent on and impacting our natural world and how that widens the lens on risk and opportunity.
1: So nature is like a big thing that surrounds us basically. And in nature, there's living nature, which includes habitat, species, ocean, lakes, people, animals, all that. And there's non-living nature, which includes soil, minerals, water, and air. And biodiversity is the variability among living organisms. So that whole thing, including biodiversity, is what we, we mean by nature. Um, so you asked the question about natural capital. So natural capital is, you can think of it as a stock of all the natural resources, including biodiversity. So because it's a stock of resources, there's that's why there's this thing called natural capital accounting. And what we can get out of the, that stock of natural resources is actually ecosystem services.
0: Okay. So there's sort of a layering in that, you know, biodiversity is the base and things flow as a result of that. Am I correct?
1: Yes. Um, So if we have more, more stock of natural capital, we can get more ecosystem services out of it because it flows better, right?
0: Excellent. Fantastic. Okay. So now that we've defined the concepts of what we're talking about, Joanne, um, how do you, how does First Century Investors integrate thinking about these concepts and why does it matter in an investment process?
1: Natural capital and just nature in general is really important because in the end, if you look at all the sectors, economic sectors we invest in, directly or indirectly, we all depend on uh, depend on nature and ecosystem services um, there's a study that I've, I've seen and this is something that's referred to by everyone in this field um, they said uh, about 44 trillion us dollars of economic output is highly or moderately dependent on nature that's a lot of value there and and, and there's also a lot of value of na- in nature that is actually not captured by gdp or any other economic output or indicators so it's a it, it, tremendous value and because there's value in um, generating economic output, uh, that's why it matters to the companies that we invest in and that's why it matters to investors. So, so in a way it's all about dependency and whether the, how the companies are performing, utilizing these natural resources because of the dependency and because of the exposure that they have on this natural um, capital. Their, the company's performance can uh, 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 vary based on the, the stocks of natural capital that they have and how they utilize available natural resources and that's why it matters to them and if it matters to the companies who invested in, it matters to us you, you asked another question about what fsi is doing that's a great question and um because it's, it's very important and we do invest in some of the sectors that are directly dependent on nature such as agriculture food and consumer staples etc um, we are uh, looking into uh, this this issue holistically, and this year we've started uh, creating this uh, working group. We call it Natural Capital and Biodiversity Working Group. And in that working group, we discuss a range, uh, a number of different things. We started off from un- really under trying to understand this whole issues around nature, what it is, why it matters to investors. And first step was to understand our exposure to certain sectors that are really uh, dependent on nature. And because nature is, as I said, so so such a big thing, and it touches on so many different issues and topics, we uh, decided to focus first on water and deforestation this year. So just focusing on those, we're looking at a few uh, key sectors and we are exploring some of the tools out there to help us assess our exposure and dependency on, on
0: these uh, issues. Can you actually tell me a little bit more about these two focus areas, Joanne, um, and, and what are you finding um, as you're getting started with this process in terms of um, dependencies and impacts? in each one, in water and also in deforestation?
1: We're still in the early stage, um, but I think a few things that we found already is first, there's a great lack of disclosure uh, on, on these issues from companies. So a lot of times, uh, instead of really understanding you know, their impact and their dependencies in a quantitative way, we tend to focus more on qualitative things, including policies, including their processes. You know these will be the first step that we we have to take because just there's just not enough data out there. So we will ch- be checking on whether a company has a deforestation policy, whether a company has looked into you know water uh, uh, reduction schemes or or whether they've committed to any pledges out there, stuff like that. So that will be uh, the first um lesson learned. Second thing is that, um, especially water, I think, there's a tool called Encore, which helps investors understand sector-based impacts and dependencies. If you run that tool, a lot of times the result comes out that, oh, out of all the ecosystem services, we are most dependent on water because that's, that's, that's that would be the case for most companies and most investors because just water is so important. It's a key ingredient for lots and lots of things. If it's not an ingredient, it's a key um, um, uh, source for the part of the manufacturing process so it's such an important uh, uh, issue whether it's quality of water whether it's quantity of water so it's 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 such a it's such an important thing that it's just everywhere at, but you know we can't really be looking into all sectors we have to be selective on what we look at so in terms of understanding the impact using certain tools for for investors like us who tend to invest in range of different sectors it's very different to identify certain areas that we can really try to minimize our impacts because the results of these tools um, provide us more of a very kind of general answers at this point. So Mm -hmm. we're waiting to see uh, more sophisticated tools um, out there that we can use to really be able to prioritize uh, key issues with some
0: quantitative data. Uh, and I'm sure sort of as time rolls out, will there'll be a sort of an evolution of this debate as to whether or not that they're, you know, like as with the debate around climate change, you know, does carbon footprinting give you a big enough picture of your impacts? Is, should there yes. be a better measure? Because um, there's strengths and, and weaknesses from using mean species abundance and the other metric you were just talking about. So yes, absolutely. Right. Speaking of, I introduced this on purpose, um, speaking of climate change, how does climate change interact with biodiversity and vice versa and how do you begin to organize your thinking about this um, both you yourself joanne and sort of uh, first sentier as well
1: they say climate change and biodiversity are two sides of the same coin so Mm. really we have a very firm understanding that without solving the issue of uh, biodiversity we can't solve the problem of climate change and vice versa Mm. and biodiversity especially uh, is really crucial to Um, help both mitigate the effects of climate change and also adapt to the rapid changes that we're experiencing with climate change. So on the mitigation side, nature systems help regulate uh, climate change. You know, uh, oceans, for example, oceans absorb heat. Oceans and and plants draw down uh, carbon dioxide. So that's really important, um, That the the, the role that nature has to mitigate climate change. And also uh, 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 nature provides a significant buffer and also maybe uh, a kind of a room for resilience for, for us to, uh, Adapt to the the climate impacts and resilience um, to shocks. So there are many, many more uh, impacts that you know, shocks, environmental shocks, wildfires, uh, tsunami, uh, increased uh, um, frequency of flooding. All this happening, and I think that the more uh, increased biodiversity we have, and more um, um, natural resources there are that are healthy, I think that's going to help um, us be more prepared to the the fast changing uh, nature of of uh, the, the environment. So mm-hmm. for those things, I think that's why they are really closely interlinked. And if we can reduce the impact of climate change, um, whether that's lesser increase uh, in global temperature or lesser frequency of wildfires, these can help restore nature and biodiversity that was destroyed because of the human activity. So I think it's they really uh, um, interact with with each other. These two two themes. Um, so mm-hmm. the better we do, the more work we do on one, it will be easier for us to also achieve our goals for the other. So. Um, you may have heard of it, but First Century Investors has made a net zero commitment um, um, mm. to uh, across our investment portfolios to be net zero by 2050 and for our business operations to be net zero by 2030. And for us, because we made this commitment, we take it very seriously. And for us to be able to achieve this net zero target, we definitely need to be looking into nature and see what 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 it what it is as as investors that we can do to protect nature and also to reduce some of the negative impacts and footprints that we, we have. As investors, due to our, uh, the investment decision-making uh, that we do on, on the
0: companies. Joanne Lee, first sent to your investors. Measuring our impacts on nature and our dependencies on ecosystems is still an emerging field, particularly when it comes to assigning financial valuations to those areas. Australia's National Science Agency, the Commonwealth Scientific and Industrial Research Organization, or CSIRO, is one body working on this concept of natural capital accounting. We speak with CSIRO Land and Water Research Director of Living Landscapes, Dr. Libby Pinkard, and she explains how having a natural capital account can lead to a greater understanding of holistic management of ecosystems with the aim of restoring degraded landscapes.
2: Let's start with the converse of land restoration and biodiversity, which is land degradation and biodiversity loss. Um, and we know that globally land degradation is widespread. It's generally on the rise and um, it's occurring across a broad range of landscapes. And we also know that climate change and uh, megatrends like population growth are likely to increase pressure on natural systems into the future. A real turning point in our thinking, both within CSRO and more broadly, I think, about biodiversity loss uh, came from the UK Treasury report in 2021, known as the Dasgupta Review, um, that found that over 50% of global GDP is moderately or highly dependent on nature, and that we need to essentially increase our supply of nature into the future. Uh, And then we've got, uh, more recently, the World Economic Forum Global Risks Report that comes out, I think, every every year. Um, For the first time, has listed biodiversity in its top three risks, along with climate change and extreme weather events. And of course, those three are all integrally um, connected. And then, of course, the Convention on Biological Diversity has also recently proclaimed a global biodiversity crisis. And recognising all of this, um, CSIRO is focusing on research that helps us to quantify the condition of natural systems and how that's changing over time in response to uh, management and environmental pressures such as climate change. Uh, And we're trying to better understand threats to ecological systems essentially and, and landscape remediation methods that can help us to manage those threats. Uh, And of course, that includes threats to biodiversity, but also to water and soils and air and and vegetation more broadly. It's what we describe really as as our natural capital. So nature-based solutions are an uh, actions that are, are trying to protect and sustainably manage and restore natural systems um, with uh, the, the intent of uh, providing uh, benefits to the environment and, and also to human well-being. And some of the examples of that include landscape restoration and conservation. Things like carbon farming activities and biodiversity um, credit schemes can also be considered to be nature-based solutions. But we do need to understand the effectiveness of nature-based solutions in improving environmental outcomes. You can go and do the actions, but are you actually getting any improvement over time? And this is, I think, where CSIRO uh, adds value through the development of tools and methods for quantifying change in condition of natural assets and understanding the ecosystem services that flow from nature to humans. And SORO is also quite concerned uh, that we take a holistic approach to this type of management rather than focusing on just carbon or just biodiversity outcomes, for example, um, so that we can avoid perverse outcomes. So it's commonly described as co-benefits or multiple
0: benefits, and we're doing quite a bit of work in that space as well. Fantastic. There's about 100 years worth of information just in that little introduction there, uh, Libby. But let me, if I can start to ask some questions to break it down. Um, When we think about the natural capital accounts, um, and I'm using the inverted quote finger marks, which is great for an audio presentation, but nevertheless, um, is it merely sort of a layering of individual parts like, you know, um, soil quality, volumetric measures of water, air quality, et cetera. Or how, how do you build that more holistic picture of a bio of an ecosystem and then measure uh, degradation and then restoration?
2: If we think of natural capital as the stock of renewable and non-renewable resources, such as your plants, your animals, your air, your water, minerals, um, and they combine to yield flows of benefit to society. So natural capital is a way of describing the environment in economic terms. Natural capital accounting is then the process of calculating and valuing these stocks and flows. Uh, so, you know, thinking about the, the sort of methods and, and, you know, targets that you might be um, uh, trying to achieve. So, the Australian government is um, has signed up to... Uh, the system of environmental economic accounts, which is a, a, a global framework, um, so that's what we're working towards as well, and that does it, it does lay out a bit of a recipe as to you know how you um, pull together this information, but it's. It doesn't have that practical context. So what we've been focusing on within CSRO is how do we practically apply some of these global frameworks in a way that is um, uh, not too onerous for those that are trying to do it. Uh, and so essentially the process, I guess what we've been trying to do with, with our approach is uh, align uh, the accounting as closely as possible to financial accounts so that it's not too big a step uh, for accountants or whoever's trying to pull together this information to actually develop the accounts. So, the framework that we've developed uh, is based around a, a, an asset register So, a a natural capital Mm -hmm. asset register. So, it would sit alongside – every business has an asset register. And so, this is just bringing bringing nature into that. And alongside that, you'd have uh, a maintenance obligation schedule, which lists all of your natural capital liabilities, essentially. Uh, Things like the costs of restoring or maintaining or enhancing the quality of of, um, natural capital assets. And then from that, you can derive a physical flow account that just records the flows of ecosystem services, and that's in physical terms. And then the other side of that is uh, translating that into a monetary flow account that records the monetary values of the benefits that are captured through that physical flow account. That's in essence how it's done. They're They're not short reports. They tend to be quite long. But what mm. we wanna do is, um, is bring together that information so that it can be presented essentially in a balance sheet and an income statement. So all of those other schedules that I've talked about are the way of capturing that information, the, the natural information in a way that we can then integrate into a balance sheet and an income statement to sit alongside the financial statements.
0: I assume that you have very different conversations with very different stakeholders. Um- to you know where natural capital valuation and ecosystem services might be used but specifically when you're if you're talking to businesses say where where does the education need to be um, in sort of connecting those points from the natural capital accounting that you're talking about all the way through to that business valuation flowing into the financial sheets are there a couple of sort of points where you're having to focus in on that education and bringing people along Uh,
2: yes there are and um So I guess one of the obvious ones is those that are um the operational staff uh that are collecting the information so they need to be coming along on the journey and i think you know traditionally this type of information has sat with a sustainability manager uh within an organization but increasingly it's the cfo the finance officer that is is the target uh now and um and they're i wouldn't say that they're um uh unenthusiastic either i think there's quite a degree of enthusiasm now uh, but really uh, what natural capital accounting is trying to achieve is embedding nature into business practices. So it needs to be uh, integrated in uh, right at the level of the finance officer, the chief finance officer, um, and and prefer- and hopefully um, uh, accepted by the CEO and the board as well. Uh, and so f- in terms of education, um, they're the sort of target areas for us. So two, two different ones. One is, you know, uh, helping the operational staff to understand the sort of information that they should be collecting um, and how to collect it and how often to collect it. And then the other is uh, at, at that higher level within an organisation, how you represent that information and what the business case is for actually
0: doing it for a business as well. You've been listening to Joanne Lee and Libby Pinkard. We hope you enjoyed today's discussion, which was brought to you by First Sentier Investors. Please remember that you can subscribe to The Greenaway Podcast wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm Rachel Alambakis, Managing Editor of FS Sustainability.
3: The Greenaway Podcast is a product of FS Sustainability, a show about people, the planet, and investing in our collective future. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. The Greener Way podcast gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by discussing numerous financial sustainable options and our featured guests. It is not intended as a substitute for professional, legal or tax advice. The hosts of The Greener Way are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. FS Sustainability operates under an Australian financial service license and the exemption made available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect to any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement, and if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the FS Sustainability website, fsustainability.com.
0: Information related to First Sentier Investors has been provided by First Sentier Investors Australia IAM Limited and is intended to be general information only. It is not intended to be financial product advice and does not take into account the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or needs of any particular person. The net zero targets or commitments referred to in this podcast have been set based on information and representations made by portfolio companies and suppliers and are subject to change. Achievement of such targets or commitments depend on the ongoing accuracy of such information and representations, together with the realization of certain future matters such as government policy implementation and enhanced future technology.